Yeah, like everybody said, I just want to say welcome to all of you guys. I don't know how long I'm going to do this while I preach, but just for a little bit. Uh, and uh, out of curiosity, I kind of want to know, um, I guess, where you guys are coming from. And so I know we have Yonsei represented, but I want to know who are, if you're a Yonsei four-year student, if you guys can shoot up your hands. Yonsei four years. Come on, okay. And then if we can have all the Yonsei exchange. Yonsei exchange students. Wow, okay. Okay, out of the Yonsei exchange, put your hands down. How many of you guys are here for the first time? So this is your first semester with us. First semester? Okay. All right, cool. Um, and Iwa, if you guys are from Iwa, can you guys look down? Yeah. Hey, come on. That's what I'm talking about. And then I know we have a couple of people that are represented here as well that are not uh, in school. Maybe you guys are taking a break from school. Maybe you guys are still in the process of applying to school, whatever the circumstance or situation. Um, I want to welcome all of you guys here tonight. Uh, for Emmaus. Can you do me a favor? Can you lower this? I'm not that tall. Not that much. A little bit up. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So um, as I was introduced, my name is Erin, and uh, I'm from New York. Anybody from New York? I like how New York people are like, I am. Yes, New York. Okay. Um, how many of you guys are from the States in general? The States. All right, what about Malaysia? Yeah. Malaysia, where you at? I thought Malaysia was representing big. Okay, um, Philippines. Anybody from the Philippines? The Filipinos. <laughs> In New York, Philippines. <laughs> nice. Um, what about from Australia? Do you have anybody from Australia? New Zealand? Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, anywhere in Southeast Asia, all over Southeast Asia. I can't name all the countries right now. All of them. All of them. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Anybody from Canada? That's the most excitement I've seen from the Canadians. That's awesome. <laughs> no, we got to respect the can Canadians because I don't know if you guys saw Argo, but... You know, we owe them a lot, right? All right. Um, what I want you guys to do is open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, more than preaching, I'm going to do a lot of sharing tonight. And so uh, it's going to be a little bit of mixture. But we'll start off with the word. So open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 20. You know, I was thinking, man, how can I launch this new semester? And usually I preach out of Luke 24, which is the Emmaus passage. That's what we're named after. Uh, and, you know, one day someone will preach about that and you guys will find out why we're called Emmaus. But today, for some reason, I really felt led to preach from Ephesians chapter 3. And I think it really carries the heart that God has for you guys and for this semester. So look with me to uh, verse 14, and we're going to be reading up to verse 20. And I'll just read it from the ESV. You guys can follow along in whatever version you guys have. Uh, yeah, so here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, think, according to the power at work within us. I'm going to continue to 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, this uh, book, Ephesians, was written by Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was like, I mean, if you want to talk about an influential man of God, we're going to be talking about Apostle Paul. A lot of the New Testament is written by him. And a lot of the letters that he wrote to specific churches, we still reap insight and revelation from today. And this book in particular was written to the church of Ephesus. And Apostle Paul wasn't chilling on some island or hanging out in the next town. Where he was when he wrote this letter was in prison in Rome. And so naturally, you would imagine, I mean, I don't know how you guys would feel, but if I was in prison, I'm not sure what kind of attitude I would have. And he's writing to these churches that at that time were facing a lot of persecution. This is when the gospel was going out, not just to the Jewish people, mainly the Jewish people, a lot of them rejected it, but some received it. And so he started going out to the Gentiles, Gentiles meaning just non-Jews. And so the church of Ephesus was this key church at this time. And here's Apostle Paul in prison writing to them when they were facing all sorts of trials and hardships. And out of everything he wanted to say, I wonder why he said these words. You know, if you're in prison and Apostle Paul probably didn't even know the timeline, how long he was going to be in prison for. You know, it might have not been a situation where it was like in two weeks you're out. Or, you know, three weeks later, you'll go on probation. You just need to check in with us. You know, we're not sure what kind of mindset he had, but I'm pretty sure that at every point he was ready to die. And he was writing every letter to each of these churches with that perspective. What are the words that I can leave them with? And it was probably very important, well thought out, well prayed over. And here, Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesians, church of Ephesus, excuse me. And out of all of the things he could say, Instead of talking about persevere or be strong and courageous or man up, stop acting like a bunch of wussies and stop complaining or, you know, be better at your Bible reading. I guess they didn't have the Bible then. So your Old Testament scripture reading or pray harder or whatever it was. What he left them with is, I hope you know that you will get the power to know just how great God's love is. The breadth, the depth, the height, the length of God's love. Out of everything he had to say, he said this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Meaning, this is a prayer I'm praying for you guys right now. For this reason. Is that you would be strengthened... By what? By power in your in through your spirit, through his spirit. Let me say that again. That you will be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, to know 
the love of Christ. There's a couple of things that I want to mention. The first thing is he mentions so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you think about it, this passage or this letter was written to the church. So if they're believers, then why would Paul mention that? Isn't Christ already in their hearts? Isn't that what we believe when you say yes to Jesus? He comes into your heart and he makes a little home there and he dwells and we live life with Jesus inside of us. You guys got that little story or tidbit when you receive salvation. So why would Paul mention this to a bunch of believers so that he may dwell as if it's possible that Christ couldn't dwell in your heart? Now, stay with me. I'm not trying to preach no heresy here. But the word when he uses dwell is very interesting. In Greek, there's, I mean, a couple of words that dwell, you know, there's a couple of Greek words that is defined as dwelling or dwell. But the one that I want to talk to you guys about is, well, the two that I want to talk to you guys about is, the first one is called uh, paroikos. Now, excuse my Greek. It's not that good. But the spelling is P-A-R. O-I-K-O-S. Paroikos. David, how would you say that? You know, I don't know if that's it either. (laughs) Come on, seminary student. I need you to help me out here. Um, And what that means is dwelling, like I said, but it means dwelling near or neighboring. And this is used to refer to people who are living in Jerusalem but weren't permanent residents. Okay? So stopping by. But the dwelling that Apostle Paul uses in this passage, in this scripture, when he talks about, I hope Christ dwells in your heart, is this. It's called katoikio. All right. It's K-A-T-O-I-K-E-O. Katoikio. You know, that's as, that's as close as it's going to get. And this dwelling means to dwell, to settle. Permanent residence. You know, it's interesting when we receive Christ, yeah, Jesus comes into our hearts. But how many of you guys know you can be a Christian and still have a certain degree where Jesus is not Lord over your life? Where he can be inside of your heart, but in terms of really residing in your heart, by residing, I'm talking of being the Lord of your heart, being the Lord over your decisions, being the Lord over your life, being the Lord over your future. A lot of us or a lot of believers, we have certain degrees of how that exemplifies or how that manifests. And here in Apostle Paul, when he writes in the book of Ephesus or the letter to the church of Ephesus, he's talking about Christ dwelling, permanent residence in your heart. I'm talking about a degree of dwelling where Christ makes himself pretty darn comfortable in you. Now, a lot of you guys are here from abroad. And listen, Korea is just a pit stop. It's your semester. It's your year for maybe the UIC students. It's your four years. You guys don't know where you're going to go. Maybe you're going to return back to your homes or go to the States or do whatever. But when you look at Korea, you think pit stop. You're not thinking of this permanent dwelling Rather, you're thinking about a temporary dwelling, almost like it's episodic. In this episode of Judy's life, Christ is in my heart. Oh, but when I go to the States, it's not like that. Or maybe back at home, I was a good churchgoer. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But in Korea, I mean, I can reinvent myself. I don't know anybody here. I can be something new or someone new. And so I'm not sure... How, how much I'm going to allow Jesus play a role in my life here. 
I'm talking about you guys being in the beginning of a brand new semester. It's a new semester, and the choices that you make in this first couple of weeks, you're pretty much dictating which path you want to take. And I wonder if we're all sitting here together thinking, God, how do I make Christ my dwelling place? In this semester, in this year, in the next four years of my life, how do I make sure that Christ, you reign within me permanently? Not as a visitor, not as an exchange student, but permanently. This was Apostle's, Apostle Paul's plea to the people of Ephesus. Let him dwell in your hearts. Why dwell in your hearts for what? To find out just how big God's love for you is. I don't know about you guys, but I've watched, you know, like 20 Korean dramas. A lot. Actually, maybe 20. I, didn't, I, don't, I haven't watched that much. I watch a lot of old school ones that maybe you guys aren't that familiar with. And some of you guys actually probably came here because you watch Korean dramas. And I'm not judging you. You know what I mean? Um, welcome. I'm glad whatever brought you here, that's good. And the thing about Korean dramas that makes so much money is the fact that it's always about one topic. What is it? Love. Love. This is why, as much as it may annoy you, there will always be a romantic comedy in the movie theaters. Always. It may be the same exact story, but with different actors and actresses and a different, you know, setting, but it's still the same, same story. Love. There's something about human beings that is obsessed with love. Now, some of you guys are trying to front like, you're too cool for love. <laughs> and deep down, you'd be reading all those romance novels and watching all those movies and whatever it may be. Even if, you're, if, even if it's not that big of a deal to you, you think, trust me, you were created for love. This is why we have a society that's obsessed with love. Now, how we define love is very different in scripture and in the world. But there is a love that Apostle Paul wants you and I to be obsessed with. And this is a love that defines who we are. It defines who God is. And it defines our calling and our purpose. Everything starts from this place of knowing God's love for you. It just starts there. And the thing about God's love is that as much as you think you know about God's love, you don't. There's still more to learn and grow and figure out. You may be a brand new Christian. You may be a non-believer. You may be someone that's just searching through different religions. You may be someone that may be a seasoned Christian. I know my Bible. Look, I don't care where you are in that spectrum. It doesn't matter. In terms of God's love, we still are barely scratching the surface. This is what's so exciting about Christianity. Here's the thing that drives me nuts is when people think that Christians are boring. Oh, psh, look, some of you guys are already thinking that right now. The reason why so many people think that Christians are boring is Christianity is often defined by lack. And what I mean by that is what you can't do. See, Christians, we can't drink, we can't smoke, we can't, you know, do weed, we can't do ecstasy, we can't go to the clubs, we can't wear short skirts, we can't have, you know, blinged out jewelry, we can't blah, 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 on and on and on. It's defined by the deficit, what we can't do. But we don't have enough people displaying what we actually have. What we have access to, and I love that here in Apostle Paul's passage here, it says, according to the riches of his glory. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm rich. I'm rich. And I'm not just like rich. I mean, I'm filthy rich. Like I'm overflowing rich. Now, I'm not talking about material riches. I'm talking about a riches that one can only get according to the glory of God. And when it comes to that, I've been awakened to and have learned that I am filthy rich in Christ. I make, make some of you guys uncomfortable. Why is she talking like that? My goodness, you know, why do you have to emphasize richness? Because Christianity is not about deficit or lack. It's about the overflow. But we can't understand that overflow until we first begin to open our hearts to try to comprehend God's love. It's the greatest love story. It's the best love story. It's the most insane and gangster love stories of love stories. It's better than every single Korean drama that you're going to, with every crazy mom and every cancer patient and every losing of memory. I'm talking about the greatest of love stories of all time is the one that we find in Christ. And this love story begins first and foremost with him loving us. Not because of what we've done. Not because of what we refrain from doing, not because of anything that we said or didn't say is simply because we were created to receive love. God first loved us. That's, that's incredible. And why we exist as Emmaus, if there's one thing that I would want you guys to gain from this semester or this year, it would be the same heart that Apostle Paul had for the church of Ephesus. It's just that you would know God just a little bit more, just a little bit more. You would know how high, how deep, how long, how wide is his love for you. If you were to just take another step closer to that revelation, we've done our, we've just, we've done it. That's all that we want. This is where religion begins. And what I mean by religion, I'm not talking about Buddhism and Taoism and, you know, Hinduism. I'm talking about the spirit of religion. And I guess the best way to illustrate what a spirit of religion would look like is the Pharisees in the Bible. They knew what to say. They knew what to do, but they didn't have the substance. Jesus accused them of being like whitewashed tombs, but having dead bones inside of them. Outside looking good, inside rotting away. And as believers, we have the temptation to be like a Pharisee. Meaning we have the temptation to be good on the outside, but on the inside, carry some things that you know we're not supposed to be carrying. Some anger, some unforgiveness, some addiction, some bitterness. Yet put up a front like we're all good. That's religion. Or religion could be just doing what we're supposed to do. And thinking that that's going to open the door for heaven. Religion is all about work. What we're interested in showing you guys is that Jesus and his love that is so ridiculously grand is all about relationship. It's about the best love story ever. Ever. I grew up in the church and all I heard about was what to do, what not to do. And I couldn't stand it. And at some point, I was like, dude, this is not fun. And I, it, this, I'm just not interested in this. And so I began to just while out. And by the time I got into college, which is, you know, your time right here, this is the irony. I direct this ministry, but I never went 
to a Christian fellowship when I was a university student. I was the one that your mom is warning you against. Make good friends. Not her, because I was like the worst influence ever. I mean, when I was in college, I was parting it up, doing drugs, being promiscuous, getting my butt arrested. Yes, I got arrested. It's actually a really embarrassing story. You know, a lot of people think like, oh, so cool, you got arrested. No, it wasn't cool at all. It was in the mall. I stole over uh, almost $1,000 worth of stuff that day. And there was a, a, like a tiny little ghetto police station in the mall, right? So it's not like I even got handcuffed. Nothing cool like that. I mean, not to say that's cool, but the story was me in the mall, like walking with the police officer and getting fingerprinted. And can I tell you, I wasn't bad or tough in that moment. I felt like I was five years old and I cried and cried and cried and cried. (laughs) I mean, I did it all when I was a university student because I thought this was life and I thought this was freedom and I thought this was, this was it. And you know what? I thought I fell in love in college too. Why? Because we're always obsessed with love, aren't we? And I thought I fell in love And that relationship that was based on a love that's not sacrificial, but it's all about what I can get was totally destructive. And so usually when I preach here, I spend about maybe 30 minutes telling you everything that I did and all the drugs that I took. You know, honestly, I'm sick of telling that story because there's nothing to it. The story is I did drugs. The story is that I did all these things that I know I wasn't supposed to do. What I want to tell you today is the story where I fell in love. How about that? So when I graduated college or when I thought I graduated college, which is another story, (laughs) you know, I was high most of college. so I never saw my advisor. So I thought I graduated, but I didn't. I was four credits shy of graduating. Yeah. Anyway, so when I thought I graduated, I hit rock bottom. And everything of my everything that I did or everything that I sewed into in those four years of college, I had nothing to show for it except seriously destruction. That's why the word of God says that sin leads to death, because pretty much my life was about death. All my relationships were so superficial. My relationship with this guy I thought I was in love with was so destructive. I mean, when I hit rock bottom, I really hit rock bottom. And drugs wasn't a social thing. It was more like just to cope and survive. And so that summer, I went to a retreat. And it was at this retreat, I remember encountering God. And I just felt so much guilt and condemnation. And I just thought, God, I, you just, there's no way you're going to take me back. Like, how many times did I say I'm going to do this for you? And how many times have I fallen? I mean, there's no way you could possibly take me back. I mean, I, there's nothing. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I was so ashamed, and I was just going to walk away. And it was like in all those K-dramas where the guy just grabs the arm. You know, it's like in the rain. And it's like really violent, which I don't know why it's got to be like that, but it's like. And she's like, oh. And she turns around. God just grabbed me in that instant. And I remember just getting that impression in my heart. I didn't hear God's audible voice. It's not like the heavens opened up, but I felt the impression in my heart where I knew God was speaking to me. And he was saying, no, I still love you, man. And it was at that moment. I thought, all right, if he still loves me, maybe we can make this relationship work out. All right, God, maybe we can make this work. Maybe I can change. And so that summer in order to prove my love to God, I decided to go on missions to Africa 
Um, and it was something that I just knew that I was supposed to do. I didn't know where I was going to go in the future. I didn't know what I was going to do after graduating, but I knew I was called to Africa out of all places. Right. And I was going to go for two weeks, one week in Uganda and one week in Rwanda. And right before I go to, uh, Africa, I find out that my uncle is trying to hook me up with a job in Korea to teach English. So I decide to, you know, check it out. I honestly did not want to go to Korea because every time I went to Korea, I was miserable and it was always in the summer. It was super hot and I felt weird because I'm Korean, but I don't know anything about Korean culture. And so I was never excited to go. But for some reason, I just thought, all right, might as well just try this interview. And I had one like thing. I wouldn't take the job unless they would let me go to this missions trip, which coincided with orientation. Okay. So I would have to miss orientation, but can I tell you, they were desperate Two or three people that time they, their criminal records didn't work out. And so they immediately, so they were desperate for teachers. I'm a freshly graduated, well, thought I graduated student. And so I just had to say hello. And they're like, you got it. You know? And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I got to go on this mission trip to Africa. And they're like, that's fine. You can miss orientation. Just go. And so I'm ready to go. And long story short, I find out that I didn't graduate college. And, uh, uh, this story's too long, but then I graduated college. <laughs> it's like, what? I got an incomplete for a class. And because I had an incomplete, it turned to an F and I didn't get that credit, but I was originally supposed to get a B. So I contacted my professor. It was really supernatural. And I just knew that God was calling me to Korea because of it. And so I ended up going to Korea, but when I went to Africa, I had to go to Africa. And three days after returning from Africa, I would go to Korea for what I thought was going to be a year. I've been here for seven years, guys, seven years. And so when I was in Africa, it was like, I don't know if you guys have been in relationships before, but I've been in a lot. And one thing that I always enjoyed about relationships, like pagan stuff, well, I guess it's all relationships, but was like the first two months. Okay. You guys looking at me like I'm crazy, but the first two months, let me show you was always really exciting because it's when you really first start getting to know the person and everybody's, you know, putting their best foot forward. And it was just really romantic. And when I was in Africa, it was kind of like that. It was like the first two months of just my time with the Lord. It sounds bizarre, but it was crazy romantic. Let me tell you, I'll, t I'll show you some examples. This is where God began to awaken my heart to know that being a Christian wasn't about doing what's right. And it wasn't about not doing what's wrong. And it wasn't about making sure that you live this holy life. Of course, all of those things are important, but the main reason, the core, the substance of Christianity, I realized then was relationship, meaning God was calling me to an actual relationship with him. And what I mean by relationship, meaning conversation, meaning wanting to know what he's thinking or what he loves or what he desires. And the fact that my thoughts are actually important to him. Okay. This is a relationship. And so when I was in Africa, I fell in love every sunrise. It was like glorious. And I remember we'd be driving on the bus and I'd look out at like five o'clock in the morning and we see the sunrise. And I just, I felt like as if God was doing it just for me, and just sunrise. And I was like, Oh, I love you too. I remember one of the nights staying at Uganda, I leaned outside. Um, and it was, you know, pretty hot like it is right now. I'm seriously like, Okay. Yeah. And, um, 
And I was laying down. And seriously, in certain parts of Africa, when you look, and I know Africa is like a whole continent, so let me just... In certain parts of Uganda, where I was, the night sky, you see almost every star. It's like you see more stars than you see sky. And I was laying down, and it's just like, phew. like when I was a kid, I used to go to a planetarium. I don't know if you guys ever went to a planetarium, but, you know, you see stars and whatnot. And so I'm laying out, and it's just stars, 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 stars. And I'm having this conversation with the Lord because it's about relationship, right? Some people call it prayer. But I'm having this intimate conversation with God, just talking about God, I can't believe I'm here. And I'm, I can't believe after everything I did, you still love me. And I can't believe you love me enough to make me new. Well, I don't have to be defined by what I've done in the past. I'm just having this deep conversation with God. And I'm just literally, my heart's exploding with just love. And all of a sudden, as I'm in this, like, you know, love sonnet, boom, I see it. My first ever shooting star. You guys, you listen, guys can buy you flowers, ladies, but God made them for you. You know? I mean, I'm talking about like, it was just, it was as if he was, no, it wasn't as if it, he was speaking to me. And then just when I was like, oh, that was awesome. You know, I wish I could see it again. Another one. It started, this love relationship started for me in Africa. That's where I fell in love with God. Now, I know as a brother, some of you guys are like, that's really uncomfortable. Like, I'm not interested in having these, like, romantic conversations with the Lord. And, like, you know, like, I really don't need flowers from God and things like that. But, but I am saying that this is a love that surpasses law. Because when you lose love, you just have religion. What the Pharisees had was they had everything that, I guess, defined what a Jew was supposed to be. But they didn't have love. Now, a great example of someone who knew law but also knew love would be King David. I mean, King David wrote poem after poem after song after sonnet after this after that about his very affection towards God. I mean, this is a man, not a woman, guys, a man, and not like some wimpy man. I'm talking about like a manly man, a man of war, like a man who, uh, we don't need to go there, but a man who did a lot of things to get his bride and a man that, you know, went above and beyond. I mean, this is a man that knew strength. It was, it was a manly man. And yet this manly man was all, oh, when it came to God. This manly man was still very much in love with who God was. I'm talking about finding out how high and how long and how deep and how wide God's love is for you. And I can go story after story after story, not just about shooting stars, but I'm talking about real circumstantial things where God has again and again and again shown me, I love you. I love you. I love you. I still love you. I know what you did, but I still love you. And why'd you do that again? But I still love you. And I love you. And I love you. It is a love story that I have with God. And I'm wondering if you're in a love story with him too, or if you're just doing what you're supposed to do. Because it's not worth it, guys, to live a Christian life without relationship. You are wasting your time and your efforts because it is boring. And it's not fun. And it's empty. And it's predictable. But when you have a relationship with God, it is exciting. You cannot predict what God's going to do next. For real. 
I mean, I'm here seven years. I thought one year, Lord, like I thought I was all like foreseeing the future with God. I know I'm called to Korea for one year. I came to Korea, found my husband, got married and became the pastor of the church where I was once a newcomer in. I mean, can you even imagine and started directing this ministry? I mean, how could I have ever guessed this is what I would be doing today? No way, but it's because my relation, I'm walking with him. And everywhere he tells me to go, I want to follow. Why? Because it's the best place I need to be in that very moment. You know, I went to Thailand, Pattaya, to do ministry with sex workers. And it was part of a ministry called XP. And we joined in on something that they do. And I remember we visited all these different bars to reach out to these different prostitutes. And it's not like a really, I don't know, shame-based sort of thing like it is in Korea you know, where, but in Thailand or in Patia, in particular, it's very open. It's very well known. Like families send their daughters in order to be sex workers because it's extremely lucrative and you make way more money as a sex worker than you would do in a factory. And so it's like very common. And so it's all open bars. Everything's pretty much in your face. And so we're walking up to these women and I remember we're just trying to strike conversation and my conversation, you know, start was always this, you know, I want to pray for you what's your deepest desire? What's something that you really want? And can I tell you, everybody said the same thing. You know what it was? To fall in love and for a man to come and rescue me. It's to fall in love with a man and for a man to come and rescue me. That was the, each of these women. And I would hear that and I'd be like, well, I know a man. that loves you and that wants to rescue you. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to fulfill that deep desire that you have to live a life that's worth something. It's this need that they carried. It's this love story that we're a part of. And just in case they didn't know that it was real, just in case that, that we would miss out on that opportunity, in that same trip, I saw so many healings. Just so God could be like, yeah, listen, let me prove it to you. I saw legs grow out. I saw arm pain gone, teeth pain gone. One part of our team saw a tumor the size of a tennis ball completely disappear as I prayed for them. You want to talk about love? I'm not talking about just superficial lovey-dovey. Oh, I feel great. I get the butterflies. I'm talking about a love that is tangible, a love that changes lives, a love that transforms who you are, a love that makes sickness into health and brokenness into healing. I'm talking about a love that's a game changer, you guys. It's a game changer. This is a love that is furious. It's a love that's real. It's a love that is pursuing you. And I'm wondering, have you tasted how high, how deep, how long, how wide is the love of Christ for you? Man, before falling in love with God, my idea of who he was was so limited and so shallow. My only understanding of him was that he was holy and he, he didn't want to mess with things that were unholy. When I understood who Jesus was and who he represented, I realized that when Jesus comes in the picture, he makes what's unholy, holy. It changed everything. You're looking at someone that was in major addiction to so many different things. And I'm standing here completely free 
not because of prayer, just prayer. It's not just because of Bible reading. It's not just because a couple of people felt really bad for me and wanted to love on me. It's because of the love of God. And everything was manifested through that. The prayers that I received was his love. The scripture I was reading became his love. The people I started meeting began to show his love. Everything was turning back to that place of his love. Now, let me leave you with this. The one thing that the devil is going to try to do is to tell you that God doesn't love you. Or that he loves her, but not you. And we base his love for us by how well things go according to our plan. God, I didn't get into school I wanted to go into, so you don't love me. Or God, I've been facing this abuse all my life, so obviously you don't love me. We begin to look at different things in our life, struggles and difficulties, and then we project how we think God feels about us through those things. And I'm just here to say that God is the God that turns everything around. He turns everything around for his glory. And what you once considered a complete loss, he turns it into gain. God loves you. And I'm not talking about, oh, that's so cliche. I'm talking about something that has so much substance. He loves you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you've done. He knows what you want to do. And he still loves you. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows the mistakes that you've made and he still loves you. He knows the times where you, you know, talk badly about him. He hears every complaint that came out of your mouth about certain situations and he still loves you. The love that we know is a conditional love. But I'm talking about a love that is unconditional. That kind of unconditional love can only come from the love of Christ. And this is what we want to introduce you to this semester. That's right. Three months, plenty of time. Plenty of time. It took two weeks for me. Three months, plenty of time. But it starts with this, an invitation for you to open up your heart for that. You may be a seasoned believer and still have your heart closed to this love. You may ask, like, how is that even possible? I'm saying so many believers were so stuck on religion that it's actually possible to think we live for God without experiencing God or having a relationship with God. You can read your Bible every single day and study the books of Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and, and dive into the... You can do all of those things, but without love, you will have no revelation of what this book is actually saying and who this person actually is. I want you guys to just close your eyes. And I want to take a moment to just pray with you guys. Because Tina was leading earlier about praying for expectations. And verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask for or think.
You have expectations? Well, let me tell you, God has greater ones. It may not be exactly what you're thinking in your mind, but what he has in store for you is way greater. It's way better. It's way deeper than what you can even imagine for yourself. This is the beginning of the semester. And I'm wondering, which way are you going to go? Which choices are you going to make? And where are you going to commit your heart to? And I want to be bold enough to say this. Test me at my words. Just test me. Come here with an open heart. And if you don't encounter the love of God, man, I will get on my knees before you and beg for your forgiveness. I'm for real. That's how confident I am in who he is and his pursuit of you. And when it comes to any love relationship, there's always going to be distractions. I've been married for five years. I mean, that's not that long compared to, you know, other marriages. But it's like five years of my life. I'm a young person. Five years is a long time for me. And in that five years, can I tell you one thing? Truth about marriage is that you got to work on loving one another. You don't just get married and it's not like daisies and roses, you know, forever and ever because you say, I do. You got to work towards loving one another. You got to be intentional about loving one another. You got to make time for one another. You got to stay committed to one another. You got to leave from certain distractions in order to stay with one another. And this relationship that God has with you, that he desires for you. There are a million other things that are competing for your attention, especially here, especially now. And I want to just give you a chance to just make a fresh commitment. God, I want to commit to this relationship with you first and foremost. I'm not saying you can't do anything else. I'm not saying you stay in your room and it's just lovesick for God. I'm Obviously, I'm talking about living your life but with God as your first, your number one priority, this relationship first. So if that's you, you want to make that commitment, man, I want to pray for you. I want to bless this commitment that you make. And you know, can I just say, it's not about your will. You're not saying this, God, I'm doing this for you. It's God, I want to do this. Now give me the strength to do it. That was Apostle Paul's prayer, that you may be strengthened in order to comprehend God's love. We need his strength in order to do this. And so if you want to just receive that fresh grace for this semester, I'm talking about these next couple of months to dedicate it to this relationship. If that's you, if you want to make that commitment, I want you to just stand to your feet.